When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Last week, Hosea answered the question, What does God want? What does he want specifically for us? And the answer, which is really from the entire book of Hosea, is that he wants a covenant relationship with us. That sounds very cold, but think of a a marriage. A marriage is one type of a covenant relationship where where there's a commitment and, and love between the two parties. Now God tells Hosea to go and marry Gomer. Gomer, this adulterous wife who is a harlot, And it's a picture of God's relationship with Israel. Israel, like Gomer, is an unfaithful, adulterous harlot. They are not faithful to their Lord. Yet Hosea keeps pursuing Gomer, just like God keeps pursuing Israel. Indeed, the reason the book was written and Hosea lived his life as he did was because God was pursuing his people. He wanted them to know Uh, about their relationship and and that it was wrong uh, the way they were behaving. And he wanted to to have this sweet, tender, loving relationship with those people. He's going so far as to redeem them in spite of their unfaithful ways. Now if last week's question was what does God want, then we could say this week's question is how does God feel? Now, when we look at this passage, uh, we see here that there is no more passionate and moving expression of God's heart than this text we're reading today. It's, it's, it's more uh, communicative of his heart than probably any passage in the Bible. It's very a beautiful uh, uh, expression in human terms of God's feelings, if you will. So as we look at this passage, um, let's keep that in mind, that God is sharing his heart here with us. 
Charles Dickens wrote the book, uh, A Tale of Two Cities. Maybe you read it when you were in high school back in the day or are reading it. I don't know if they still read that in school today. It famously begins, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven We were all going direct the other way. Now the passage before us today, Hebrews 11, Hosea 11, uh, 1 through 11, could be styled a tale of two Israels. And in these two Israels we see the best of times and the worst of times. We see a season of darkness and a season of light. And certainly hope and despair and heaven and hell are at stake in these two Israels of which this passage, to which this passage points us today. Now I want to look at the, I want to look at the two Israels today. That's my, my outline first, the first Israel. And it's the Israel that we're reading about in this passage. Israel's beginnings here are traced back to, uh, to Abraham in Genesis 12. We can go back and, and uh, hear where God says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A wonderful promise to Abram. And of course, Abram eventually had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and and then they had many children, and they all ended up through, remember the story of Joseph, in Egypt, and eventually in bondage, in captivity. They became slaves of the Egyptians there. And Hosea 11 begins with the great deliverance that they experience. Uh, when God freed them from that slavery in Egypt. Verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now this verse uh, reminds us that God redeemed his people. He delivered them from captivity and slavery while they were in Egypt. And from Egypt, God rescued his people, and Moses led them the 40 years in the wilderness to that promised land that God promised way back to Abram. God miraculously delivered them through the, through the plagues and then crossing the Red Sea. Uh, and then they, even when they wandered in the wilderness those 40 years, God miraculously provided them food in the wilderness, manna, quail, water from the rock. He healed their diseases. Their clothes didn't even wear out during the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness before they made it to the promised land. There were times when they were healed miraculously by the Lord. And then eventually they came to reside in that promised land and became the nation of Israel. A very powerful nation they became. Through Abraham and his descendants, which became the nation of Israel, 
God would bless the nations. That was the promise made to Abram. And we see throughout Genesis and into the, into the, the rest of the Old Testament how God was building up his people to be a blessing to the nations. Israel here is called the Son of God whom God loves and calls to himself. And they were going to be a blessing to the nations. But there was a problem with this Israel. Look at verse 2. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. The picture that's being painted here is of an obstinate, stubborn child bent on disobedience. Now, you've probably been in the grocery store in your life and uh, that mom who has no control over her children and the children are running around and they're pulling you know, cans off the, the shelves and, and, and she's just saying, you know, Johnny, stop that. Uh, Mary, come here. Uh, you know, and you can hear her all over the store and you just hear the destruction going on from aisle to aisle and the people are coming over the microphone saying, clean up on aisle four. Five, and you can trace their movements through the whole grocery store. And that poor mother is chiding and calling out to the children and the children are not listening at all. They're just running rampant. That's the picture that you get here. The people of God are ignoring the call of God. And worse, they're running off to worship false idols, false gods. How can God bring the blessings, the blessings he wants to deliver to the world through these people? How can God use these people to help the world have a relationship with him? when they didn't have a relationship with him or it was a very unhealthy relationship they had with him, one where they were obstinately unfaithful to him. There's a problem here. Now the dismal picture continues to be illustrated for us in verse 3 where we see demonstrated uh, that God was, uh, or that they were ignorantly ungrateful for everything that he had done for them. Verse 3 says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim was the largest tribe of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And sometimes, uh, well, often when you see uh, the word Ephraim, it's a substitute for the whole Israel. Uh, it's part for the whole. Um, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bonds of love. And, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Hey, what a tender picture this is. It's continuing that uh, father-child picture, parent-child picture that we have uh, already started. The father is tenderly providing for his son, teaching him to walk and comforting him when he stumbles and falls, helping him back up. He, uh, he is uh, feeding him and, and helping him through his life. And then the metaphor shifts a little bit, and it, and it seems he's talking about a farmer and how he treats his animals. There in verse 4, uh, uh, ease the yoke on their jaws. You have like a beast of burden, say an ox or a horse. And uh, the farmer, instead of treating this animal like a beast of burden, he's treating the, the animal like a pet. 
uh, he's taking the, 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 the yoke off and easing the, problem, uh, the, the force on its jaws. He's, he's holding it close. He's feeding it by hand instead of just, you know, throwing the food in the trough. So he's, it's a picture of his tender, loving care. And yet, he says here that Ephraim, Israel, they don't even know that it was I who did these things for them. They have completely taken all the blessings that they have for granted. And they're running off to other, other gods and giving thanks there for things that I have given them. And then, in verses 5 and following, we see impotent pridefulness. Verse 5 can be translated various ways. It says here in, in the ESV, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. It could be translated, They shall surely return to Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, or shall they not return to the land of Egypt? Uh, Hosea is one of the more difficult texts to translate because uh, uh, the, the manuscripts aren't as good as many of the other books in the Bible. But either way, it doesn't matter because it all is communicating the same thing. Uh, Assyria is going to conquer Israel. And we know that happened in history. And, and some of the people got shipped off to Egypt. Or another way of saying it, you're going to have the same kind of bondage like you had way back in the day in Egypt, except it's going to be Assyria that does it now because of your prideful uh, impenitence. Notice what it says here in verse 5. They have refused to return to me. Verse 7, my people are bent on turning away from me. It's like a car that pulls to the left, you know. You ever have a car that was out of line and it just kept wanting to go off the road? That's the, way, that's the picture we get here. Bent on going the wrong way. That's the way God's people were. And verse 6 tells us it's because of their own counsels. They, they know what's best for themselves. They do what's right in their own eyes. They're not listening to God. They're not concerned any, about anything with the true and living God. They're going their own way, that bent way away from the Lord. How can God bless the nations through Abraham's offspring when Abraham's offspring are indistinguishable from the idol-worshiping, godless, pagan nations? Well, I told you at the beginning of this passage, at the beginning of this sermon, that it could be styled the tale of two Israels. And that's the first Israel. We have seen that that first Israel, the Israel that's discussed here, really deserves to be wiped off the map. They, they don't deserve to be called the Son of God. They should be like Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were... Uh, two cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. So God definitely has that in his mind. He's upset. And he's going to say, I'm going I'm to wipe you off the map like Sodom and Gomorrah because of your unfaithfulness, because of your impenitence, because you will not return to me, because you are obstinate in your unbelief and you are adulterous in your worship. But he says, I'm not. I, I love you so much. I'm not going to treat you like Adma, Zeboim, Sodom, and Gomorrah. He goes on and says, My heart recoils within me. As he contemplates this, uh, God's heart moves and changes. 
in, and he's putting this in human terms. I think God is sovereign. He, he doesn't change, but to put this in human terms, his compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. Yes, Israel will be conquered by the Assyrians and sent into exile, but they will not be utterly destroyed. God will preserve his people through the exile. He will bring them back to the promised land because it is through them that he will give to the world the second Israel, or better yet, the true Israel. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 through 15, says this. Now when they, speaking of the wise men who came to see and worship Jesus, when the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. It's a direct quotation from Hosea 11 verse 1. And it's referring to Jesus Christ, of course. He is the true Israel. When Matthew quotes Hosea 11 1, uh, he is showing that Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. I called him out of Egypt, my son out of Egypt, the heir of David. And he embodies Israel's relationship to God. The true Israel embodies that, the old Israel's relationship to God and all who would be Israel's relationship to God. How will the loving Heavenly Father bring the blessings to the nations promised to Abraham? Through the true Israel, through Jesus Christ, to whom the first Israel pointed. The first Israel brought to us the true Israel, because Jesus was an Israelite. He was a Jew. And it was through them, he is a descendant of Abraham, that we have all the blessings that come to the nations, not just to the nation of Israel. Well, let's compare and contrast these two Israels. First of all, Jesus, as the true Israel, like the first Israel, was also brought out of Egypt in accordance with his prophecy. He went to Egypt to flee from Herod, and he came back from Egypt. Jesus was also in the wilderness, not 40 years like the Israelites, but 40 days in the wilderness. But unlike Israel, who in the wilderness often uh, strayed from God, faced temptation and succumbed to that temptation, they worshipped the golden calf, they complained about uh, the food, they complained about the water, they complained, 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 and yet God continued to love them. Well, Jesus was in the wilderness and was tempted yet without sin. He faced the temptations and was perfectly obedient in the wilderness. The first Israel, as we noted, was obstinate and unfaithful. Well, Jesus was always obedient to the Father. He never sinned. He was perfect. He is the perfect true Israel, the perfect Son of God. 
every uh, moment of every second of his life, he perfectly obeyed the Father. All the way to the end of his life, on the cross, which was an act of obedience as well, because he willingly laid down his life as the Father had enlisted him to do. He laid it down, and he said, It is finished. And he was able to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, because he knew the Father would accept him, because he had done everything, every single thing that the Father ever required of anybody. Christ did it perfectly, perfectly obeyed, unlike the first Israel who was bent on turning away from the Father. Christ was single-mindedly after doing the Father's will, always, heart, soul, mind, strength. He was obedient even to the point of death. The first Israel was ignorantly ungrateful. But think of how Jesus always acknowledged the Father. He was... He was constantly going up to the mountain to pray. You see him in the garden of Gethsemane, praying to the Father. Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, let your will be done. Acknowledging the Father. Acknowledging that it was the Father's will that he came to do. Uh, Always pointing to the Father and depending upon the Father. The Spirit filled Christ. The Spirit, the Spirit of God was in him dependent upon that divine presence. He was the divine presence and he was filled with the divine presence. The first Israel was impenitent and prideful. And of course Jesus had no reason to be uh, repentant in the first place because he never did anything wrong. And he was certainly not prideful. His whole life was one of humiliation. Theologians talk about the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. Humiliation consisted in his becoming born a man and the life that he had to live, one of suffering. Uh, He he grew up poor. He grew up in Nazareth, which is the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, He he, uh, was not anything great to look at, Isaiah 53 tells us. He uh, He had a small band of followers. He was persecuted and ultimately put to death and buried in a grave. God buried in a tomb. But he was exalted. Uh, he, he has the name above every other name. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. As Paul tells the Philippians, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, he is the true Israel, humbling himself. Not just because it was the right thing to do, but he was doing it on behalf of the world, so that the nations could be blessed He underwent divine judgment for sin as the true Israel. So the blessings of God could flow to the nations. The blessings promised to Father Abraham. We sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. We didn't ask the choir to sing that one. It didn't seem appropriate for worship. Uh, But you probably sang it in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school somewhere. Uh, But it's reflecting a truth that Paul highlights in uh, the New Testament. That by faith, 
by faith in Christ, we can be children of Abraham. We can be connected. Uh, We can be part of Israel, the true Israel. We are grafted in. He is the true Israel. And when we are united to him, we enjoy every, all those blessings that God wants to pour out to his people. Paul says that by faith we can become children of Abraham, even if we're Gentiles. You can be united, grafted into Israel, and experience the blessings of being in relationship with God. What a blessing that is. There is no other name by which men can be saved. This is the only way, the true Israel. We have to be connected to him. We have to be in relationship with him to enjoy all that he has for us. You cannot enjoy eternal life without Christ. He rose from the dead. Uh, and, and if we're united to him, we will rise and live forever as well. None of those things can be yours unless you have Christ. And you remember that, that he wants to, God wants to have a relationship with you through Christ. He wants to know you. He wants you to walk with him and be in relationship to him like a husband and wife. That's the picture you get throughout Scripture of a, of a marriage relationship. And one day we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ returns and all of his people celebrate together with him. Now finally, just the last thing that we want to look at in this passage is verse 10. <clears throat> it, it points to the future when they will uh, immediately for Hosea's day, it's talking about the return from exile. When they shall go after the Lord, uh, they shall go after the Lord. They've been bent on turning away, but God loves them so much, he's going to pull them back in. They shall go after the Lord, and and he's going to roar like a lion. And uh, at that signal, they're going to return. It's a metaphor, it's a picture Uh, They will come trembling from the west like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria, and I'm going to return them to their homes. But as we think about the second, the true Israel, Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's going to return, and he's going to bring people from east and west and north and south, and they're going to be with him forever. They're going to be home. That's the true home, the home they were created for. It was the worst of times for us, but through Christ we can experience the best of times. The best of times that never end because he's the eternal God. He is the true Israel and by faith we can be united to him. I invite you to be united to Christ, to to have a relationship with your creator who is also the one who is your redeemer if you will turn to him in faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as always. The words of life, the words of wisdom, the only rule for our faith and for our practice, we thank you for it. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to truly put our faith in you today. May we be united to Christ. We thank you for him coming and all that he did for us in his life and death and resurrection. And we look forward to one day uh, when he will return. And then we will truly be home. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us for that day. Help us to be prepared for your return. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.